Well, this morning, we're going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, y'all ever, y'all ever watch those, uh, well, I, I mean, I hate commercials, I don't like commercials, we really don't even, if you can skip past stuff, it's, it's great, um, but you see these, if, if, if you're on social media and stuff, regardless, at times, you're going to, you y'all notice you see less and less of the people that you actually want to read and more and more advertisement of stuff you could care less about. Um, and, but every now and then you'll see those advertisements of those, um, you know, miracle pills and, you know, all you got to do, you don't have to worry, you don't have to worry about changing your diet. You don't have to worry about exercising. You ain't got to worry about nothing but sitting in your chair and feeling comfortable and take this pill and you'll lose every bit of weight you ever want to lose and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, this morning, I, I want to I bring a thought in, in, in somewhat uh, comical in its title um, and, and what we're looking at, but at the same time, not comical at all in its, um, its content. Because we're going to look this morning at, at, I'm going to go ahead and give you the title. Here it is. The Fix-All Solution. Wouldn't that be nice? One solution fixes everything. Now, they try to sell you stuff based on that idea, but it, it's always a pipe dream, right? It, just, it, never, it never works out the way that they claim that, uh, that it will no work on your part, and it always works out the way you like. Um, that, that doesn't normally work out well for you. It works out well for the ones selling because they make tons of money off of people who are looking for an easy solution. Uh, but may I say the, the Bible does give us a fix-all solution. It, it might seem too good to be true, but it's not. It's not necessarily always the easiest thing, but it is a fix-all solution. Um, take your Bibles and go to the, the book of Mark, chapter 12. And we're also going to go visit the book of Revelation here in a moment. But as you're getting to Mark, chapter 12, uh, keep in mind that people kind of like I mentioned a minute ago, people have always desired to find that one solution to fix their problems. Uh, I, I thought about a few other than just the, the weight loss thing, but um, we wouldn't mind a shot if we were guaranteed and we knew for sure that that shot could eliminate all allergy issues. woo give it to me. I'll take it. I hate needles, but I'll take it. Um, if it could be guaranteed to take care of all allergy issues, and from that point forward, I would not have a single problem with Alabama allergies. The, uh, the Tennessee Valley would have no effect on me. <laughs> That'd be nice. <clears throat> not so much. But um, uh, we, we would take something, and we, we, we would take that drink if, it could, uh, if there was a particular drink that could give us constant and lasting energy. You ever seen the people that drink these energy drinks 24-7? By the way, they will kill you. Um, more than one person has had uh, a heart attack because of all the chemicals and things pumping in their body trying to give them 
unnatural energy to keep pushing them and keep going. But if we could have an energy drink that was guaranteed to be safe and okay, and when you drink that energy drink, you I don't care if you didn't get any sleep. I don't care how old you've gotten. I don't care what it is. Your stamina, everything is back. Drink this drink, and it will, I mean, fix all solution to your energy problems. Sign me up. And if we could be promised for sure that pill that would remove all unwanted fat, I think we'd be ordering it. But here's the thing. Um, Though it would be nice to have a fix-all solution like that, uh, it's just not how things work, right? Um, At least not in the areas of our physical issues we face in life. Uh, it, It would be really nice to have a simple one-step solution and done. But here's the thing. The Bible actually does give us a fix-all, as I mentioned, uh, a fix-all solution to facing this life and everything that it throws at us. Uh, how I handle myself and, and how I deal with the things of life can be altered with this one solution. And, uh, and no, I have not perfected the use of this one solution, all right? Uh, but if we, could, uh, if we could learn this morning what we're going to look at as the individuals that are being talked to in these passages we're going to look at are being taught to grab a hold of this truth and don't lose it, then we'd be surprised just how much this one solution would truly fix all the issues. Let me show you where we're going. Mark chapter 12, look at verse number 28 down to verse number 31. Now, here Jesus has been talking to Pharisees and scribes and um, he, he's been correcting them. And matter of fact, in verse number 27, uh, Christ ends at least that moment of um, communication with these individuals <clears throat> and talking with them by saying, He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. He didn't beat around the bush. He just told them, you're wrong. And so he is correcting them, and then and one of the scribes pipes up and kind of blasts back at him. But, but listen to what Christ himself answers with as we look at this question and the answer given. Verse number 28 of Mark 12 says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel. It's funny how he didn't just say the commandment, he gave the instruction prior to commandment as well. Hear. In other words, listen up. Don't stop your ears up. And I can't hear anything you're saying. No. Unplug your ears and listen. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. In verse number 30, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And then he goes on and says, and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, the last statement in verse number 31 is key as well. He says, there is none other commandment greater than these. These are the top level commands and the first of the first of all commands and all instruction is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. There is no other God before him. There's not to be one put before him. And we are to love him with everything we have. Now, in this life, and in all that we face in life, there is a fix-all solution to dealing with it. I'm not saying it gets taken away. I'm not saying your problems disappear. I'm not saying that all the issues just dissolve and you just have a, a, you'll have a perfect and wonderful and real easy life. No, we're talking about the fix-all solution as you deal with life. How do I deal with it instead of it taking control of me? How do I survive it instead of it taking me out? How do I... Uh, it, get through the experiences that are less than desirable and not fall apart? How do I keep from getting bitter and angry, resentful, selfish? How do I know what's right to do and what's wrong to do? How do I know uh, the right way and the wrong way? How, how, do I, how do I have with confidence and peace that I'm going in the right direction? How do I stick with the hard things when they're the right things to do and not just give in to the easy ways? I mean, how, how do I get through with one solution that fixes it all and deals with it all? You go back to the beginning. You go back to commandment number one that Christ said there is none greater. There is nothing. Matter of fact, um, he, later on it says on those two, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And the second like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. By the way, if you know how to love God the way you should love God, loving your neighbor will be pretty easy. Because in First John it says um, that uh, the... If you hate your brother, the love of the Father is not in you. The love of the Father is a love for him and a love like him. And therefore, if I'm going to have a love like him, I have to first have a love for him. And if I love him the way I should love him, then he'll teach me to love others the way he does. But how do I deal with these things? How do I, I mean, how, how do I face life and not let it destroy me? Or better yet, how do I face life properly and not let my life destroy others? 
there is a fix-all solution. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Let me pray, and then we're going to jump over to the book of Revelation, and we're going to look at um, an instruction given to the very first church mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And we're going to look at what takes place and what, what they were known for, but what their struggle was in life that God revealed to them and said, here's your problem. Let, let's pray, and then we're going to look at this, and hopefully we'll, we'll tie all this together with this fix-all solution that is more important than anything else that we could look at today. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. I pray that you would help us as we uh, dig into your word. Lord, would we be mindful of the severity and the importance of this matter? Would you help us to examine within ourselves whether or not we fit the pattern of what our holy God expects of his children? Would you help us, Lord, to see our need and respond appropriately, but at the same time, or would you help us just to be challenged for what we can do more each and every day for the one who gave us everything? Would you just do a work in our hearts as only you can and be careful to give you the honor and the glory for everything accomplished in us and through us? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Why don't you go with me over to Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to spend the majority of our time here in Revelation 2. Christ himself said that to love the Lord thy God is the first and greatest. And on it hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, every word of God is true. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is Profitable for doctrine, for, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Everything hinges on this one truth. On this one solution. And that is, do we love God? Not just love Him, but do we love Him the way we're supposed to love Him? Try not to get ahead of myself, so let me, just, let me just jump on in. The Lord revealed to the church at Ephesus what this solution is and how to go about it. Revelation 2, look at verse number 1 to verse number 5. It says, under the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. Now, this is the very first church. I, I, I plan on doing a series on, on the seven churches. I do not want to go and all the detail with this because that would kind of ruin point number one in the series, all right? But we are going to look at this a little bit. But to write the church of Ephesus, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, uh, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. 
Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, he's talking to the churches, the candlesticks, uh, we know it, it, it talks about in verse number 20 of, of chapter 1 there, um, the, the, the candlesticks and, and, and the stars and all, and, and it, it talks about um, the removal of, of, of the candlestick, the removal of basically, I'm, I'm, I'm going to remove, if you, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove the very guidance that you have, the very guide I've given you, the very one that I've placed there to help guide the church. I'll remove it from you. May I say, um, it's kind of a, a warning. Uh, I will write Ichabod. Wasted, over, finished, done. I'll write Ichabod over the church of Ephesus if you don't repent. And what is the repenting? Are these unsaved individuals? No, it's the church. You're not part of the church. You're not, you're not a part of the bride of Christ without being a child of God. So therefore, it is the body of believers. So what do they need to repent from? By the way, that alone uh, teaches us and shows us very clearly that you do not get saved and immediately you no, you no longer have issue with sin. You know, you're, you're sinless now in this life because you got saved. Well, why are they having to repent? All right. Something happened that, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, now, we, we, we see, let, let, let's just look at the evidence we have for the church of Ephesus. And I want you all to hang with me on this. Don't, don't lose me. Don't think that it's over because you already know the solution, okay? Y'all hold with me, and, and I'm, I, I pray and hope that we'll understand the, the importance of this matter. But we see in verse number three that the church at Ephesus is active. Okay, they were active. They weren't lazy. They, they weren't uh, just focused in on themselves and themselves alone. When it comes to ministry, the church at Ephesus is busy. The church at Ephesus, these people are about doing what, what they have been commanded to do and even laid out that they did it in the name of Christ and for his sake. They're busy, 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 busy. But busy does not always equate to beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of them which spread the gospel. You can be real busy and not be very beautiful in the eyes of God. And so we, we see here in verse number three that it says that uh, they, has, they, they had born, has born, that, that whole idea of, of born or bearing um, gave the, the credence and gave, gave recognition to the fact that they supported each other and the work of the ministry. They were faithful in their support of one another and the support of the work. And they were faithful to the support of, of, of helping and, and assisting Paul where possible. They were faithful, in, let's just put it this way, in modern day church, they are faithful to send missionaries around the world. 
They're faithful to support the efforts within the church and the community, but, and they're faithful to send missionaries around the world. And so they are busy in their bearing of burdens and their bearing of the need of the ministry. They're busy about the support of those things which are important. They were also, by verse number three, uh, they, were, they were patient. Well, that, that's, a, that's a pretty decent thing to say about people. We already talked about that. What's the one thing we fear? Having to learn patience. We don't like having to learn patience. But they were, by the declaration, by Christ himself. Jesus is sending this letter and this notice to the church at Ephesus, and he's saying, I have taken note of your activity. Well, I'll put it this way. Uh, you can get a, a, a lot of, um, of people who will, uh, will give credit to somewhere that actually is not doing what people are, are giving them credit for. I mean, you, you, you can give individuals that will give a false report on really good things happening when it's really not really going on like they say. But when Jesus himself is giving a, a report, a progress report of the church, you can bank on it that it's accurate. And, uh, and so here he is, and he says, you, you're, you've been faithful to bear, to support uh, the work and, and each other. You've been faithful in your area uh, of patience. You're patient. And may I say, I believe that's a patience in the fact that they're doing the work. They believe and they, they, they know that there is going to be a harvest. They know that there is going to be results. They're being patient. They're waiting on the Lord. They're being patient. They're waiting on results. They're being patient. And they, they know, hey, the, the work we're doing, we, we know hey, God's word will not return void, right? They are the uh, the the the. Typical New Testament church that is busy and working and supporting and waiting patiently for God to bring about the fruit of their labor. They've been patient. And Jesus has taken note of it. Not only were they patient, but they, they've labored. So they're not just sending with money and supporting one another by gathering together and encourage one another. They're not just being patient, but they are laboring. Uh, in, in, in verse number three, it says, um, uh, for my name's sake hast labored. So they're not just doing it uh, to just do something. They truly have a mentality of, you know, we, we do what we do for Christ, for Christ, for Christ. We're, we're trying to get the gospel out there, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's about Christ. And so you're talking about, you're looking at a church that in all aspects of, of, of what you would, you would visualize and see and expect the church to be so far, you're, you're seeing a church that supports the gospel around the world and supports each other. You're seeing a church that, that is patiently waiting on God to lead and move and, and work and produce fruit. And, and a church that though they're patiently waiting on God to work, they're not sitting back and saying, Lord, come on, just do your job. They're getting busy themselves. And their labor is for 
Christ's sake. And boy, their, their whole uh, theme song would be, we'll work till Jesus comes. That'd be their theme song. They're ready for it. They're working. They're laboring. And Jesus has taken note. I've seen your work. I've seen your labor. I've seen how you support one another. I've seen how you support the gospel around the world. I've seen all these things. Boy, you're doing great in these areas. Oh, and let's go ahead and, and finish off with verse number three there. And hast not fainted, faithful to continue without quitting. I mean, they're, they're just plugging along, plugging along, plugging along. I'm sure it had its ups and it had its downs. I'm sure they had hard times and good times. They had days of rejoicing and revival type feeling. And when it came to get, getting together, they had days where it, might, it very possibly felt dead. Like right now. All right. But there are times when, when there would be excitement, and there are times when there wasn't near as much excitement. But, I mean, they were faithful. They weren't going to quit. They didn't stop. When things got a little slow, they didn't say, well, I guess it's just about over. No, they would just go ahead and keep working, keep serving, keep doing. And, and, and their focus was, to a degree, in a sense, we are the church. We're going to be the church. We're going to work. We're going to serve. We're going to reach. We're, we're going to support. We're going to do all these things that we are called to do. They're going to do it faithfully, and they're not going to quit. Say, boy, I want to be a part of that church. That's a good church. Yes, it is. And by the way, uh, if you go to the book of Ephesians, not, you don't have to turn there, but in verse number 13 of chapter 6, uh, they, they received their own letter from Paul where it said, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Well, according to what Jesus is saying, hey, they took those words to heart and they're doing all to stand. And it's not just standing uh, by, by not quitting and, and by serving and by being patient and by supporting each other in the ministry, but they are standing uh, in, in some very difficult areas of the actual teaching and preaching and, and, and biblical aspects of what's being presented. You see that in their zeal. So they were active, but they were also very zealous. Their zeal for truth in many ways, was, was, you know, second to none. You find uh, in verse number two, the last part of verse number two, after again, in verse number two and verse number three, the Lord repeats. It, 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 somebody said when, when, when God says it once, it's, you know, it, it's important. When he says it twice, you better start taking notice. If he says it more than twice, you better really pay attention. Well, here's what's interesting. In two verses, he mentions... Their labor, their patience, and their work. I mean, he, he is reiterating right behind verse number two. He says verse number three. But in verse number two, the second half, he focuses even in on their, their zealous nature concerning truth. And he says there, um, after he, he talks about, I know thy works, thy labor, and thy patience. Then he says, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, the wickedness of men. In other words, in their zeal, they detested the evil and wickedness of society. 
I mean, they, they looked around and they said, this, I, boy, I tell you what, this world we're in, this, this area that we have to, that we're surrounded by, boy, it's just wicked. It is filthy. It is nasty. We can't even, we, we can't even hardly stand it. I mean, they, they recognized wickedness. They recognized evil. And, and they immediately, those that were following the path of wickedness and the path of evil, they immediately would, would, uh, would keep themselves from the influence of the wicked way and the wicked and evil man. And so they were very cautious in that sense, very careful, very zealous concerning what they saw around them and its attack against truth. But they were also very careful and cautious and held accountable the teachings and claims of men. So this is not some church that just sat there and let somebody teach and said, oh, that's wonderful. We'll believe everything you said. I don't need to read my Bible. I'll just believe what you say. I don't need to, I don't need to consult uh, the, the, the scriptures that we have. Uh, we, it, that, that just sounds really good. That preaches really well. That boy, whoo, that just gave me chills all over. I like that. Who cares if it's doctrinally right? That sounded great. That's not the way they were. They were not only focused on the supporting of ministry and each other and the supporting of the gospel. They were not only <clears throat> focused on their patience and waiting and letting God lead and, and things of that nature and, and patiently waiting for him to bring about a harvest, but not only were they laboring and doing what they could and, and, and were they faithful to not quit, but they were determined. We're not letting false doctrine in here. We're not letting wickedness get a hold of us. We're not letting false doctrine get in here. And we're going to call it out. And we're going to test those who claim to be apostles. By the way, the church could really stand to do a lot of that today. Uh, in all these, these religious circles, um, if they had actually put the claims to the test, they'd find that um, there's a lot more false profiting than there is uh, true apostleship. Uh, all these faith healers and all. Somebody said, if they're a faith healer, they better never go to the hospital themselves. If they can't heal themselves, why am I going to trust them? But here's the thing, it, man, man has concocted so many ideas of how to get people to follow them and fall for them. But the church at Ephesus said, we're going to test what you say against truth. And Jesus himself has taken notice that they can't Bear that which is evil and those which follow evil. And they, they try and they test and they prove those that have called themselves apostles and are not, and as, as Christ put it, and has found them liars. In other words, we're not listening to whatever you teach because what you teach goes against what we know is truth. And you ain't no apostle of Christ. You might be an apostle of something, but what you're claiming ain't real. And they said, we're not, mm -mm, we're not going there. So they've held firm in their zeal for truth. 
Now, according to everything we've looked at and according to everything that, that has been described by Christ himself concerning the church at Ephesus, I don't know about you, but I say, join me up. That's a man, I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a people like that. I want to be a part of a, a, a group of God's people that, that really see a vision and, and really have a plan to, to go and do and serve and, and not quit and hold the truth. Boy, I, yes, I want to be a part of that. Then comes verse 4. After all these things, they were active, they were zealous. Verse number four reveals to us that they were forgetful. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Now, if there is a statement that would just absolutely should pound the church into despair, it's like, what? is if the the Lord himself came and stood before us and said, I've seen all that you're doing. I've seen all that your your, your activity. I've seen how much you've given to get the gospel around the world. I've seen how much you go out faithfully and try to reach your community. All the involvement, all the work, all the ministry, holding the truth, I've seen all these things. But I got something against you. Really? I mean, after all that we're holding to, and after all that we're doing, boy, we are trying so hard, Lord, and you're going to come against us with something? You're holding something against me? You got a problem with me? Here, I'm, we're doing all this for your name's sake. Is that not enough? Now watch. I have somewhat against thee. He doesn't say, I've got everything against you. He doesn't even say, I am against you. He said, I've got somewhat against you. You've got all these things. You've got all this stuff that you're doing well. But you're missing the core element. I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love what is the first love what's the first love that christ himself said is the first of all first that everything hinges on thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart with all thy soul with all thy mind with all thy strength He said, you're doing all of this, but you've forgotten what was important. You're busy. You're zealous. You're active. You're influential. But you don't walk with me because you love me. You don't serve because of love. You've gotten to a point, you do what you do, may I say, out of obligation. Well, I'm a Christian. Why do you go to church? It's what us Christians do. 
Why do you go out and vis- on visitation? Why do you give the gospel? Why do you, why do you hand people these tracts? Well, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's about our church. It lets people know what time it is. You know, we were going to start and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's got, a, you know, the message they need to hear on the back. You know, that's what we do. We're supposed to give out the gospel. I'm, I'm giving the gospel. It's what I'm supposed to do. It's how I'm supposed to live. It's kind of what's expected of me. Are we getting the point? The Lord did not scold them for their work. He didn't down them for their patience and for their labor and for the support of each other and the ministry. He didn't put down on them uh, for how, how they stand for truth. None of that. He actually praised them for every bit of it. He said, but when it comes down to it, you're doing it for my name's sake but you're not doing it because you love me. They were forgetful. And then verse number five points out they were needy. Jesus looks at them and says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. Do a recap. Step back and do do some inventory. And go, go back and see at what point in our service, at what point in, in our working for the Lord, and what point in standing for truth, and in, in what point of all these things did I forget it was all because I love him? At, at what point did I start making it about because I'm a Christian? At what point did I start making it about, well, just because I want to be faithful to church? At what point did I start making it all about, well, you know, we need to make sure people understand we stand for truth? You know, at, at what point uh, is it, did, did it turn into the, the traditions of what I do because I am a quote-unquote child of God? At what point did it turn to a purpose of what I think I have to accomplish from where I started and I couldn't do enough for him because I love him? At what point did it become operation? It's just my operations. It's just my process. It's just what I do. At what point did it turn to all of that from a heart that couldn't do enough for a God that did so much for me? I love him. Why do I go and assemble together with God's people? I mean, yeah, I love y'all, but it's not. If it's about y'all, guess what? One day we're going to fight like cats and dogs. One day we're going to wake up on the wrong side of the bed and we're not going to agree on something and we're not going to like each other. And if I come to church for you, there's going to, be come, a, there's going to come a day where coming to church because I love you might not have the same pull it did before. It, it, do I go out witnessing because, you know, but because we want, we just want, we want to be known as a church that goes into the community. Well, okay, yeah, but... 
there could come a day where that's not really, you might want to go in the community without being like broadcast so much. We just, we do it because we love him. But listen, if, if the Lord can go ahead and, and kind of put the blinders across those trying to put me to jail, I would be happy. Lord, I'm going to go out, but I know, I, I know they're, they're making it more and more impossible and they really want to silence the church, but I'm going to keep going out. And one day, it might be illegal to hand a tract to somebody. Say, not here. I can give you several countries where they thought that too. And it might be one day we have to say, Lord, would you put blinders on those who would attack what we're doing and just, you know, we, we're not out here. We don't exist, but we're going to still go. We're going not because it's the convenient thing to do. We're going not because uh, it, it is what a Christian does. We're going not because, well, we just got to get out there and reach our community. Well, there's tons of ways to reach community. But why do we go and try to reach them with the gospel? We go and try to reach them with the gospel. It should not be because it's what we do. It's what's planned. It's what's on the schedule. No, it's because I love him. Somebody else ought to be told about him. Somebody else has got to know about him. Somebody else has got to, got to be given that, that wonderful opportunity to, do, to know the one that I love. By the way, when you have someone you love, it's not hard to promote them. When you have someone you love, the idea of you know, flashing their name or, or, or their face out there for people to know who they are. When you love someone, it is not hard to say, yep, I love them. It is not hard to say, mm. or, husbands with wives, when you love your wife, it's not hard to say, mm-hmm, yep, she's mine. And I, well, I ain't sharing her, period. She's mine. It's, it's, it's not hard. That which you love, you promote. That which you love, you do share in the fact of, you know, everyone should get to know this person I love to a degree like I get to know them. Everybody should know how valuable they are. Everybody should, listen, I want to broadcast it. Look what I got. And it's not because of me. It's just, hey. Oh, and by the way, the great thing is, it, it, it could go south and you could do, it, it could be really bad by, 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 by promoting something you got if it's another person. But here's the thing. If it's Christ, when you say, look what I got, it comes also with the, with the exclamation point of, and look what you can have too. He's not just for me. But why do I share him? Because I love him. Why do I promote who he is? Because I love him. Why do I spend my time with him? Because I love him. Why do I come to church faithfully? Because I love him. Why am I gonna go, go out and do? Why do I support missions? Why? Because I love him. And here's the thing. Everything else can fade. But my love for him is the very thing that will keep pushing through when everything else is hard to deal with. They were needy. 
Remember from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. What's the first works? Love the Lord with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. That's four very big prescriptions of, of activity that need to be done. Four big things that honestly uh, would take a lot of our time if we actually invested in them the way they should be invested in. All my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. You say, well, how am I going to get anything else done? <laughs> you don't have to, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying be lazy and just spend all your time reading your Bible and, 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 and in prayer and just hope that everything works out. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is if we spent more time with him, he would have more opportunity to help us deal with that which we cannot deal with ourselves. The closer we walk with him, the more able he is to intervene on our behalf. Well, I'm surviving. Well, for the child of God, that's not quite the way we should be going about it. Surviving is what's miserable. There is a fix-all solution. How can I face this life and it not get the better of me? How can I deal with stupid people? And not lose my testimony. How can, how can I deal with all that hits me? And not say I quit. If you love the Lord thy God. With all thy heart. All thy soul. And all thy mind. And all thy strength. In other words I've invested everything I have. In the one I love. I'll be able to face and deal with anything. I'll be able to handle anything. The Lord can intervene in any way. When I get overwhelmed, typically it's because I'm, my eyes are on the storm, my eyes are on the waves, my eyes are on everything but him whom I love. The church at Ephesus, and I, I'm, I'm wrapping it up. The church at Ephesus They did a lot of good things. They were not a bad church. There were several further down that, yeah, really were not good. And there's another statement about them concerning the, 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 the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, but I'm not going there. We're going to save that for later. But the church at Ephesus stood strong. The church at Ephesus was, a, I would say, a missions-minded church, if you're going to equate them to today's time. Be a missions-minded, missions-hearted, faithful church, working church, serving church, going church, doing church. But they had lost what their central purpose was. It became about the things. It became about the stuff. It became about the labor. It became about the actions and it stopped somewhere along the line being because they, they just love God. We do it because we love the Lord. If the church today would honestly get a hold of this one thought, I love 
my Savior. If we could get a hold of that one thought, and not just think about it, but let it become everything about us. It's about how I love him. Nothing he asks of me would be too much. Nothing he puts me through would be too hard. Nothing he allows me to face would be too unacceptable. Nothing I'm dealing with would be too impossible to handle. And there'd be no one get away without me sharing the one that means so much to me. What holds us back? What robs us of the joy in serving the Lord? What robs us is when we have our focus on the serving and not on the loving him. Because if I love him, the serving is not going to lack. If I love him, the doing is not going to lack. If I love him, the patience that grows within me is not going to lack. If I love him, the, the, the helping of others is not going to lack. If I love him, the sharing of the gospel is not going to lack. If I love him, holding to truth is not going to lack. In the end, if I love him, it is the root foundation of everything continuing faithfully. But we've got to go back to the first. I'm afraid, and this is not a, a, a proclamation against anybody here knowing that I'm as guilty as anybody else. I'm afraid, though, the lack of power within the church, the power of God on the church, the power of God in the services that we hold together as we come together, the power of God moving. We're, we're looking at coming to <coughs> a, a, a desire of having a tent revival. And you know, it's just going to be a tent meeting. If the power of God is not present. Great preaching. Wonderful. Oh, beautiful singing. Great. We had a great Sunday to Sunday meeting. Nobody does that anymore. <laughs> Look at us. Have a wonderful meeting, but it's not true revival. Because what it takes for true revival is less about us, less about what we do, and more about why. I love him. I love my Savior. You're not looking at somebody who always thinks that. I forget like anybody else. Church at Ephesus. Remember from, wh from whence thou art fallen. Go back to that point you forgot and say, you know what? Time to, time to pick this back up and put the focus back where it belongs. I love my Savior. I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, 
with all my mind, with all my strength, I love him. It's a fix-all solution. It'll take care of everything because it gets my focus where it belongs. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this.